0: Amen. Amen. God is God is good. Oh, God. You know, um it is a real it is a real joy to share life with you and to share life with the Lord. It's a real blessing. Nothing is more nothing is more exciting than to And to observe God at work, not only in your own life, but also in the lives of others, it's just really special. And we have spent the last year, as, as some of you may recall, we've been spending the last year sharing some things, uh, establishing a few things. We started we started Class uh, 101 and 201 to help people in their relationship with uh, the Lord and their, their relationship with personally in their growth, and uh, we're planning this next year to implement another couple of classes that will be made available, and as we, as we share those with the church family, you are free to come and participate in those, whether, whether you've gone through them before or not. You don't, you don't have to feel excluded. In fact, you're not excluded. If you partook, partook of it before, you can partake of it again. It's all right. There's no penalty for coming back so I just want you to know that as we go forward in this season uh, of ministry we'll be doing that also if you remember um, a year ago uh, just a little over a year ago we talked about asking God to to allow us uh, as a church body to allow us to see uh, 25 people uh, come to the place where they where they really responded and and were followers of Christ and and walk through the waters of baptism. And I just want to tell you that in your program, it tells you that this year we've had 16. But overall, there's 26 that, uh, that if you count the season of ministry, which is basically September through August. So we've had 26 during that duration. So God's answered our prayers in a, in a big way. And as you look around, you'll notice that some of those people are not here today. And I just want to tell you... Uh, that this is good news. It's not bad news, because some of those people have been moved to other parts of the valley, for example, out in way out in Chandler, and others have been moved to other parts of the country. So you know, it's it's not it's not a building of a club here. It's about helping people to become followers of Christ, and and God brings them. And while they're with us, and as we share life together, as long as God keeps us together, we continue to grow. But when God says it's time to go, we don't want anybody staying. If it's time to go, you need to go. Uh, and wherever you go, whether it's whether it's like Walt and, and Lydia or whether it's like others in the church body uh, that we've done this with, and even in the case now as we pray for and, and hold up Carol because she's headed back to Oregon, God has a plan for Carol in Oregon. And we are so thankful for all that God has done here with Joel and Carol, and with Joel's home going now, it's time. Uh, over the last couple months now, more than a couple, but it's time for for the Lord as as she listens to take her back to to Oregon where family is and so on, and she has a special place there. I just wanted to say that God has done a lot of things this last year. There's been some transitions. There's been some things that have that have happened that, frankly. Um, if I was the one doing the choosing, I, I wouldn't really want it to be the way it's been on some occasions uh, because we have, had, we have had a few uh, bumps along the way uh, in the sense that uh, people, as you know, because we are one or two or three, we're people, <laughs> and so as you know, people, people can get hurt and offended. And sometimes uh, in their hurts and their offenses, um, you know, they may be right about their hurts and offenses, but sometimes they make choices that only result in in more hurt and more offenses, and, and things happen and they snowball and so on. So we have had a few things happen uh, here at Pinnacle over the course of the year that have really been heartbreaking for me. Um, but we continue to strive to do that which which God has laid before us, and and this morning, I want to share with you. I want to share with you this morning, that which uh, really the Lord's laid on my heart. It's a little different today. Usually we have a, uh, we have the outline and we have the stuff that we're gonna cover and all the blanks that you're gonna fill up and all that kind of stuff. And and today uh, we we're going to do it just a little different because I just felt. The more I prayed about it and the more I asked the Lord for direction, the more I felt compelled to, um, for lots of reasons, but I felt compelled today to just tell you that this next year really will be about following through on what we've been talking about for the last six, seven weeks. We started out uh, earlier during the summer talking about the remaining three from 1 Corinthians 13. These three things remain, faith, hope, and love. We spent time on faith, we looked at love and, and hope, and we've been looking at the issue of love, and while we've been focusing on that, the more I've been praying about where God wants us to go and what it is that God wants us to do uh, around here, I have, I have been compelled constantly, constantly, uh, by the fact that, that uh, we really need to heed the last words of First Corinthians 13, 13, where he says, you know, that these things remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I really feel compelled today to tell you that we're going we're gonna to invest the, the next year together learning about this thing called love. It's, it's so easy to think you know how to love. It's easy to talk about love, it's easy to philosophize, but really loving, really loving is something that, that we need. When I think about Jesus' comments to his church in John thirteen thirty five, where he says, by this all people will know that you're my children, you're my disciples, is by the love that you have for one another. By the love you have one for another. So it's really, really important as we think about it. This is what we're gonna focus on. We're not gonna have any kind of a new major program we're gonna roll out. We're gonna keep focusing on the things that God's laid on our hearts and trying to uh, enrich and enlist uh, the kinships that we have and, and develop others by the Spirit's leading. Those are things we're gonna keep doing. As I said, we're gonna add to class one and two, classes three and four as we go through this next year. So there are things that we're going to do as far as programs go, but I, needed, I need you to understand that our primary focus is going to be learning how to love and learning how to be loved. So with that in mind, as you look at your notes, I just want to start off and briefly today, briefly share with you today, number one, when it comes to purpose-filled love and love as a whole uh, don't be fooled, don't be fooled. And I know that that for some of us that sounds uh, almost old because we feel we've got it together. But just listen. Paul says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish. How many of you have seen the LifeLock commercials about the uh, dental monitors? The security monitors? The pest monitors? Have you seen those? You know, the guy's standing there at the bank and they come in to rob the bank. Everybody hits the deck and he's standing there and they're looking at him like, come on, do something. He says, oh, no, I'm, I'm not a security guard. I'm just a security monitor. I let you know when there's a... A robbery. There's a robbery. (laughs) I think my favorite is the dental monitor. The poor guy's sitting there with all this stuff in his mouth, you know, and and the the guy's prodding, and he says, well, that's the worst cavity I've ever seen. And then he puts the thing down, and and the lady helping him, the assistant says, "Uh, time for lunch? Oh, yeah, time for lunch. What? Where are you going? Fix it. No, no, I'm not a dentist. I'm a dental monitor. In case you don't have TV, that'll give you an idea of what I'm talking about. One of my greatest uh, burdens as we approach this year, and the reason this is on my heart today to share with you and why we're going to spend a year doing this is because we have a lot of love monitors. A lot of love monitors. We got a lot of people who can tell you love's needed over here, love's needed over there. By the way, I need a little too. We have love monitors. But we don't need love monitors. We need people that are going to love. And it's really challenging because of these three things. These two things, rather. We, we, are born, we are born with an expectation of love. Every one of us are born with an expectation of love. We want to be loved. We expect to be loved. And if you have a father or a mother, you expect them to love you. People that are significant in your life, you expect them to love you. And so for them not to love you is really a challenging thing. And the second thing is that that there's a misunderstanding because we grow up with this misunderstanding about love. See, we think that love is performance-based. We think love is conditional. Conditional. We think that love is earned. We think love is something that you get because of what you do. Love is something that you earn because of the way you behave. We think love is that commodity that is for sale to the one who is obedient to the one wanting wanting the love of the other. So this whole idea of love, we have to be careful because of this incredible misunderstanding. In fact, we've gone so far in our minds to make love not only conditional, but contractual. We think, we think, especially in the United States, but all over the world, we think that if if love is something that's conditional and you want to really nail it down, you need to put it into a contract. Whether it's a marriage contract or whatever, people literally come up with relational contracts because they want to secure the love that they so desperately need and feel. And it just doesn't work, folks. You know it. You know it. Wanting to be loved is fine. Needing to be loved is true. But trying to live your life so that you gain that love by what you do, how you perform and basing it on the concept of being approved of or disapproved of, will literally eat away at your soul and your peace and your calm. It will destroy you because it's not love. It's not love. So don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. There are three things about love that are absolutely essential that we're going to focus on and the first one is, and these are all understanding the will of the Lord. The first one is you need to let God love you. You can't love anybody till you let God love you. It's impossible for us to love others until we know and have tasted the love of God. It just doesn't work. When you're loved by God, you are able now to love others. But until you let Him love you, you're not released, you're not free, you're not confident, you're not secure. You're not whole, you're just not able to do it. You're not able to do it. In Jeremiah 31.3, he says, I love you people with a love that continues forever. I've loved you with an everlasting love, it says in the other translations that most of you may have. Making them, excuse me, he says, that is why I have come, continued showing you kindness. God loves us. God loves us unconditionally. God loves us without performance. God loves us... Even when we were sinners, even when we were helpless, even when we were His enemies, God loves us. His love is not something you can buy. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to take it away. He loves you, period, and finished, end of story. But you have to let Him love you. You know, so many of us in our human relationships, we undercut, undermine, and destroy relationships when someone tries to love us. Because somehow there is this sick development that's related directly to sin where we as a result of being loved have to constantly test it and push it and test it and push it to the extent that so many people in our culture and our environment and our world when someone starts to love them they start to push back and goad at that. Because they don't really believe it's true. They've never tasted unconditional love. And they're afraid of being rejected because they've been rejected over and over through their whole lives. So someone genuinely comes along and loves them and they say, now this is impossible. You can't love me. I'm going to make you prove it. it's really important for us to understand that God loves us and to begin to let him love you. Jesus gives the illustration in Luke chapter 13 where he talks about Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets, you kill with stones those men that God has sent you. Many times I wanted to help your people. I wanted to gather them together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you did not let me. You did not let me. Let God love you. God will not force his love on you. God will love you and will provide and he will give you his very best which he's done in Jesus Christ. Giving his only son. But the fact of the matter is that he is not going to invade your heart. He's not going to invade your life. He is not going to make you succumb to his love by force. He won't do that. God does not want a contractual relationship based on performance. God wants you to realize He loves you unconditionally. So you have to let Him do that, and it's not an easy thing, and we're going to try to learn together how to let God love us. Ephesians 2 Talking about his love, he says, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus because of his great love with which he loved us. You know, I'm convinced that most of us most of us are struggling because we're not letting him love us. Because we're trying to get our love from our mate. Trying to get our love from our friends. We're trying to get a little loving from other people. Our focus is on this level of interaction. Because that's the way we've been taught. That's the way we've we've grown up. Our society's built that way. But life doesn't work that way. God made us to function optimally in a love relationship with Him. And when you experience and taste the love of God, you are now suddenly free, whole and secure to love someone else. So who's the source? Who's the primary source of love for you? Even today, on this September 18th, Is it your mate or your friend or your kids or someone else or is it God? Because God's the only one who will love you completely and thoroughly and He's the only one you can depend on. Let Him love you. Let Him love you. Secondly, we're going to be looking at the fact that we need to love God. We need to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, as we're told in Luke chapter 10. By the way, you might want to change that in your notes. It was a, it was a secretarial error. <laughs> Instead of Luke chapter 5 there, it should be Luke 10. We need to learn to love God. Interesting, isn't it, that a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, Jesus to the test. This lawyer was surrounded by people Jesus was sitting and his disciples and all the others were gathered around. They were all interacting with with the words that Jesus was giving and the teaching that he was giving. And the very fact that the Bible says that a lawyer stood up and put him to the test is an affront to the authority of Jesus and everything that was going on. It wasn't like he just stood up and and said, By the way, I have a question. No, he interrupted. He stood up in the midst of this environment, this situation, and basically he's surrounded by a lot of people like him, and he is one who doesn't know what it means to be truly loved. He is a young lawyer. He is a wisecrack. He is someone who, is, who has got this thing in his mind about who Jesus is and how Jesus needs to be tripped up. He doesn't know what it is to be loved. He is still functioning in a society all around him where he's looking for the approval and the nod of all those other people, religious people around him. Isn't that fitting? And Jesus says to this man, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Now, of course, this man knew this. This was part of the Shema. He read the Shema every day. Shema means to hear what comes from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, and... So, you know, multiple times a day, he's read this, prayed this, and done this, and he knows all about it. So Jesus, when he says, you know, what is written in the law, how does it read to you? Then the guy answers, says, oh, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. He quotes directly from Deuteronomy. Love God, love God. Everything that God constructed in the Old Testament, including the Mosaic Law, the law given through Moses, was designed, as I said to you last week, was designed for the purpose of producing and giving love to God's people and through love lifting them up to a standard and a relationship with Him and a world that was part of God's plan. The purpose of the instruction, the purpose of the command, 1 Timothy 1.5, was love. God didn't give the law. He didn't do all that he did. None of what God has done has been designed to put people in a religious straitjacket. God has done all that he's done from the very onset because he loves us and because he wants a relationship with us. With you. God wants a relationship with you. So you have to let him love you. And then secondly, we need to learn to love him. How do you learn to love him? The Bible talks about this, and we'll unpack it in the days and weeks ahead. The Bible talks about the fact that there is one singular proof of whether or not you love God. Over and over and over again. Jesus said it a bunch of times. Obedience. 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 But you see, so many mistakenly put obedience before the relationship of love. It is really hard to obey someone you do not love. It's hard to obey someone whose love you've not received. It's hard to be obedient to someone you don't even know loves you. Loving God, loving God, is made evident through our obedience. You may hear this again as we go forward, but you remember when Jesus was speaking to his disciples after his resurrection, resurrection in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, on three different occasions, he says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Peter, do you love me? And what did Peter say? Yeah, you know I love you. Yeah, you know I love you. And what did Jesus tell him every single time? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now, a lot of people read that and they think, okay, so if I'm, listen, this is the way we are. This is unfortunate, but this is the way we are. As human beings, as worldly focused people, we think, okay, okay, if I want to experience God's love in my life, then I got to start doing some feeding or teaching or I got to serve. No, it's not about serving. It's about obedience. See, God had called Peter. God had set Peter aside. It wasn't a matter of Peter just simply feeding the sheep. That was his call. It was the relationship God had with him and God had empowered and given him and God had commissioned him and his gift was to do what? To feed the sheep and to get the church started and moving forward. It was what God wanted for him. So when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he keeps saying, feed my sheep. He's not saying, work, work, work. It's not what Jesus is saying to Peter. What Jesus is saying to Peter is, obey. 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 It'd be kind of like this morning for young couples or even older ones. (laughs) It'd be like God saying, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Love your wife. Love your husband. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Well, then pray for your boss who despitefully uses you. See? It's about obedience. We're going to learn how to love God together. And then finally, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. He says not only love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, soul, he says you shall also love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's fascinating. When you read uh, Romans chapter 1, you find Paul making the following statement. He says that if you want to understand spiritual spiritual things, all you need to do is look at the things that God has made fascinating so here when he says love your neighbor as yourself just stop and think for a moment how do you love yourself let let me ask a few questions briefly when you're hungry what do you do feed yourself when you're thirsty what do you do drink water for yourself When you're feeling tired, what do you do? Take a nap, nap, rest, whatever. See, what what Jesus is, is putting into place here are two things. The first one is this you love others as you love yourself. It wasn't a matter of Jesus insinuating that we were self centered, it was part of the way God has made us as human beings to take care of ourselves. And so what Jesus is saying is you need to take care of other people just like you would naturally take care of yourself. Simple. Very simple. So to love your neighbor means to take care of your neighbor. But I have to tell you, and you know this, if you don't receive the love of God, if you're not letting God love you, you can't love him and you cannot love other people. You can manipulate other people. You can play the game that our world plays. You can let people know that if they perform, you will be good to them. That's not love. And we've spent all this time in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere talking about love. And Paul makes this incredible statement when he says in Romans 13, verses 8 to 10, in one verse in particular, he says, Oh, no man anything but love. Love. Love your neighbor. This wisecrack, like most of us, he realized he got caught. <laughs> he was kind of in a pickle now because he not only answered his own question that he posed to Jesus... But he also put himself in a position where where he had to somehow uh, justify himself, and so, wishing to justify himself, he says here in Luke chapter ten, he says to Jesus, "Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor?" See, people who people who have not been loved by God, people who don't allow God to love them, and people who don't walk in a love relationship with God, they're always wanting to know, "Who's my neighbor?" They want to know the details. They would like to have a portfolio. Or maybe a special class. Maybe a special class that would talk about who your neighbor is, what they look like, you know, the demographics of your class and the people you live with and work with and all that kind of stuff. Listen carefully, listen carefully. Jesus responds to this man and tells a story. He says, there's a man who's left for dead on the road to Jericho. He's beaten, everything's taken away from him, he's bleeding, he's bruised, probably broken up, he's dying. And then Jesus says, along comes on this same road a priest, a man who knows the Shema, a man who knows Leviticus, a man who understands clearly the teaching, but when he sees this person, The Bible says he passes by on the other side. He doesn't even get close. Why? Because he's been taught that ceremonially, if he touches something that's unclean, it makes him unclean. Can't do that. That's what he thought. And, our, and our, our churches, our churches have come to the place where, listen, there's an awful lot of uncleanness that's untouchable. It just boggles my mind sometimes when I hear people talking about the fact that, well, you know, I had to leave the church because of a divorce and, and I wasn't accepted anymore in my church. There's all kinds of other things I could share with you today, but I don't need to. The point is that there's so many things that we have created. We've really created them. Just like a religious situation, we've identified this is unclean, this is unclean, that's unclean, so I can't touch that, I can't go there, I can't be involved in that. And folks, please, that comes from not walking with God. That comes from not learning he is and loving him because when you love God you love like God and God loves sinners who are unclean and by virtue of their situation and condition they're in bad shape anyway the priest couldn't do it then a Levite comes along a Levite now the Levite is somebody who's involved in all the worship and all the liturgy of the temple. A Levite comes along, and the Bible even tells us that that he came over and, and he even almost took a closer look. But he didn't help him either. Now put yourself in the position of this particular lawyer and all the people that are gathered around. They're thinking, here we come. The good part of the story. There's a good Jew boy who's coming along who's going to fix this guy. Yay! Because that's the kind of stories they always told. But not a, 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 not a Samaritan. We will revisit this because there's some stuff in this is fascinating. We don't have time today. But so the Samaritan... A Samaritan is unclean. A Samaritan's a half breed. The Jews were pure. They were not. They even established their own mountain for worship and so on, another temple and whatnot. And so they, they, were, they had lots of trouble. People didn't go through Samaria, they took the long road around. It would be like going from here to Flagstaff, only, only deciding to go through Jerome and up through Sedona not take i17 i mean it just didn't make sense but they did that because because these were unclean people they hated them they hated them so jesus says but a samaritan can you imagine the reaction everybody's going <laughs> what <laughs> a what yeah, a Samaritan, but the Samaritan sees him. The Samaritan bandages him. The Samaritan u- gives him use of his own donkey. He walks along the side. The Samaritan gives coins to the man to take care of him. The Samaritan promises to pay when he returns. The Samaritan shows mercy. Mercy. Mercy is not just simply a, a word that's used to describe a feeling. Mercy is an action. It's an action. The mercy seat in the temple is a place where something happened. Blood is spilt on the mercy seat. God has mercy upon us. So he sends Jesus to die for us. So loving others and loving your neighbor. Number one, your neighbor is anybody who has a need and anyone that comes across your path and anyone that the Lord specifically brings your way that He wants you to minister to. You've got to listen. You've got to listen. And the church, I believe, this year, our church, needs to become a listening church. A church that hears the Spirit of God say, do not pass this person by. Talk to them. Do not pass this person by. Help them. Do not pass this person by. Pray for them. We we are so concerned about getting consumed that we want to be careful. And I just want to encourage you. Be less careful and more obedient. God knows when you need to stop. And God will tell you if you're listening. Listen. Listen listen. So this year we're going to be talking about letting God love you loving God and loving others loving others. And I close with this one reminder this one reminder from the book of Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 to 7 where we read about how the Ephesian church good strong biblical church, fundamental in many of its ways uh, and yet the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that they had one big problem. Anybody know what it was? They lost their first love. They lost their first love. And so what is it that the Spirit of God says to the church there at Ephesus? He says, You've lost your first love. He says, I want you to do something, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to, number one, repent. And then I want you to recommit to doing the works that you did before. Now, don't be mistaken again. Do not be mistaken. The Spirit of God and the Word of God are not telling you to go back to work. What the Spirit of God is saying is that returning to do the works that you used to do is an automatic outflow of your love relationship with Jesus. You don't do what you do, unless it's religious. You don't do what you do out of simple duty. That gets old fast. No, the problem with Ephesus was they lost that love relationship. And what, what the Spirit of God is saying is you need to return to that relationship and that will lead you once again to doing the things you used to do. Well, we look, at, look at this Luke 10 passage. It is, it is absolutely connected. Love God, love people. By the way, loving God and loving people, is that the two greatest commandments or as Jesus puts it, the greatest commandments? The greatest, the greatest, because they are so woven together, so woven together. And this morning, I just want to thank you all. This morning, we're going to spend some time in worship now. And during the worship time, we're going to have communion. And this morning, as we share in communion, uh, during the worship, you're, you're free to come up and partake of the elements. You can put your love offering in the love offering basket. You can pick up your cross if you've been serving. It's in that little bowl there. And during this time of worship, we'll have people here that will be ready to pray with you and encourage you if you need that. And at the very beginning of our time, focus on him, but in the very beginning of our time, we're going to have one of the ushers come up and get the communion and the cup and